Welcome to On the Middle East, our monitor's podcast about the big stories of the day. My name is Ambrin Zaman, and today I'll be discussing the final results of Turkey's elections, which saw further victory for President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. What lies ahead for the opposition, and can Turkey revert to a more democratic path? Or is it curtains for Turkish democracy? My guest is Howard Eisenstadt, an Associate Professor of Middle East History at St. Lawrence University in New York, and a seasoned scholar of Turkish politics. Howard is among those who consistently predicted the outcome, even as leading pollsters indicated that the opposition candidate would likely unseat Erdogan for the first time. So welcome to our program, Howard. It's great to have you here with us today. Thanks, Amber. It's great to be here. So you called it right. You, from the get-go, have been consistently predicting this outcome. So tell us why you, why this happened. Why, why are we faced with this result when, you know, for all the obvious reasons, Erdogan should have lost? So, I mean, and, and I'll, I will say that that it's possible that I'm right for the wrong reasons, right? There, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, it's, it's certainly possible that uh, another candidate could have done better, but you know, I, fundamentally, I think that uh, the problem isn't the candidates; it's uh, systemic. That that uh, President Erdogan has created a system that, uh, yes, requires electoral support. But it's so thoroughly gamed uh, that you know, with for all the reasons that we know about the press and the control of the uh, the state functions and the use of security services and the use of prosecutions, uh, you know, it's a long list. But you know, if if you know if we're playing with marked cards, you're going to win regardless of whether I play well or badly. Yes, um, but you now see the opposition sort of hoping for a big economic crash. They see that as, you know, their their sole hope of ever winning power back. And clearly with uh, these local elections looming in March, it's difficult to imagine that Erdogan would do a course correction and, you know, revert to more rational economic policies. I think he will continue to spend his way in the hopes of recapturing Istanbul, I think that's going to be his main goal. Uh, so between now and March, do you think that the economy will be able to survive? Will the economy, um, will the opposition get its big wish? Well, um, I mean, certainly, uh, we the municipal elections are a more favorable ground for the opposition. Than, than national elections. Um, and the stakes for President Erdogan are less ex- existential. They're, they're about uh, revenue and rent for his cronies and, and not about you know, whether he goes to jail or, or stays in the palace. Um, that said, uh, I think that uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a tough. It's going to be a tough uh, go, and for 
the the uh, in Izmir, Ankara, and Istanbul, um, the races were close, but uh, in all of those cases, uh, the uh, the opposition won. So I think the opposition has reason to hope, and I don't think it's I don't think they need the economy to to absolutely crash for uh, for them to to have a chance. Um, that said, uh, we can expect more of the same. We can expect uh, more use of prosecutions. We can ex expect uh, uh, more effective uh, uh, use of the media. Um, the the uh, the populations in the big cities are more more internet connected, which lessens the the uh, the effect of, of you know control of the the, the mainstream media. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I I called Istanbul wrong in uh, 20, uh, 2019. So so I'm going to you know I'm I'm going to to hedge my bets, um, but. Erdogan wants to stumble back very, very badly. And, and so you know, here's where the Kurds actually do matter. I think that all of us, well, not you perhaps, but I certainly would say this about myself, we overstated uh, the weight of the Kurds in the national elections um, based on the fact that, you know, they were so pivotal in Istanbul. And that doesn't necessarily translate to uh, national politics, as we saw. And... Um, Erdogan well, prevailed yeah. without them and, and you know, by actually demonizing them, in fact, and casting Kılıç and them as terrorists. So I mean, do you think he's going to need them, though, for to win back Istanbul? Because, you know, he lost big in Istanbul precisely because of the Kurds. Can we what, sort of imagine him being the pragmatist that he is, making that kind no. of... No, I don't. I don't think that, given the profile of of Erdogan's coalition, I don't think that that he's capable of doing that. Um, the concern is that, uh, and and here the runoff election is is I think indicative. The concern isn't that the Kurds will return to to Erdogan. The concern is that a significant number of Kurdish voters will simply stay home and vote yeah. none of the above. Yeah, uh, yeah, especially given what happened in the last week ahead of the runoff when we saw Kulic Tharolu sort of become Mr. Racist, basically. Um, I mean, that was so, pretty sad to observe, and all the more so that it didn't deliver the desired Yeah, result. I mean, I think the argument the argument could be made that that you know it was a necessary evil. I'm not. I, I'm not. I wouldn't buy that. But I'm not sure that it worked. I'm no, not it didn't. sure. It absolutely didn't you know, work. We, we got we got a a drop of uh, three percent in voter turnout, and most of that drop was in Kurdish dominated regions. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's he may have gained some votes, but he lost as far as I can see. Uh, and I haven't done a deep dive. As far as I can see, he lost more than he gained there. So I guess Erdogan can bank on a, as you said, uh, some of them, you know, enough of them not going to the polls, and of course also turn to the you know uh, dirty tricks department, the you know proceed with the legal case against Imamul and perhaps lock him up before the election or at least unseat him. 
So, so locking locking him up before the election is actually very potentially very costly uh, because uh, it, it might create the sense that he's removing uh, uh, a candidate and thereby uh, circumventing uh, democratic elections. And everybody across the political spectrum is invested in the idea that the elections are competitive, even when they're they're not super competitive. Uh, so I don't, I, you know, I, I certainly could be wrong, but I don't expect Imam Olu to be jailed in advance of the elections. I can imagine him being banned from politics if he wins. Okay, well, I mean, but zooming out, you know, one of the critiques of Turkey, one of the analysis of Turkey by certain academics is that, you know, it's hopeless for the opposition because Erdogan has created this society of lower class, you know, the lower class masses who just don't have the education or the aspirations to, to, to want anything better. Do you agree as an academic with that assessment? Because if it's true, yeah. <laughs> Plus people are getting even poorer with these policies. So an even greater pool of voters, paradoxically, for Erdogan, if we're to go by that analysis. Sure. Um, there, there is, uh, around the world, a, a greater uh, polarization of uh, electorates. And, and so the number of movable voters has necessarily diminished. I'm not entirely convinced by the uh, Erdogan gets votes only from the the uneducated and the poor. I, I, I don't think that that's... Somebody put put a figure on it. They said, I, uh, I think it was Ersin Kalajolu, 40%, he said. This was a few years ago, but recent enough. Um, I think that uh, the question is, how, how do you, uh, for that... 15% of the electorate that's potentially movable. Uh, how can you move them? Um, I think that I think that actually Imam Olu um, is, is a good example of how you can do so. Not, not simply because uh, you know this the, the whole um, uh, campaign of love uh, uh, type stuff, but but because he, like Erdogan, uh, represents that that demographic of urb, uh, of new urbanites, of people who moved to uh, the uh, moved to urban areas in the sixties, seventies, eighties, right, and and he can speak the language of that uh, that really central demographic uh, in a way that, say, Kilic Darolu couldn't. Um, it's, I, I, don't, I don't think it's uh, a, a matter of uh, lack of information necessarily, so much as a way of, uh, that the government has been able to, to define the terms of debate. I, I'm staying with, with family in a in a very JHP neighborhood 
in a very Jehepe uh, household. And uh, they there's no sympathy whatsoever for, for President Erdogan. But I'm struck as I, as I talk to them about different issues, about the Kurds, about the economy, about foreign policy, how, how fully the conversation has been defined by an AKP-dominated uh, uh, media. Yeah. And so, I mean, if, if Erdogan can continue to frame the terms of debate, that puts any opposition candidate, no matter how charismatic, uh, at a, a real disadvantage. And also, you know, in the case of Turkey, being a 99% Sunni Muslim country, of course, it's very hard to, you know, promote democracy when people are saying Islam, Islam, you know, uh, at least in when it comes to the ethical, moral arguments, you know, how can you place this sort of Western system of, you know, democracy, free market, whatever, hold it as an alternative to what Allah is saying to Islam. I mean, you you made your your. I'm, I'm shaking my head. I don't. Yeah, I just don't. Head, but I think it helps Erdogan in his narrative for sure. Religion, you know. Uh, well, I I think it helps, but not because you're if you're arguing that that Turkey is going to be majoritarian, that it's it, that there's going to be a built-in intolerance for diversity. I I am very clearly agree with you, but I'm not sure that that translates into anti-capitalism or anti-West or even anti-secularism. Uh, I think that uh, what it means is that one has to, one has to, and I, this is what I think Erdogan does. I don't think of Erdogan as particularly imposing Islam, certainly not compared to his Middle Eastern counterpart. I'm not at that uh, pace for sure, but that's definitely the trend socially and symbolically. I mean, with the conversion. Symbolically, yes. Stuff, yeah. And that's and that's kind of my point. And that's... I think that, you know, in, in the early days when we thought he was doing great things, he was doing the opposite, saying, you know, these two things are, are not um, contradictory. Islam and democracy do meld perfectly. And here they're the best example of that. But it's, I think we'd say the same thing today. shifted away from the democratic path, I think by default he's had to uh, sort of maybe draw a line between the two, in at least through his actions and by way of justifying everything yeah. else that he's doing that's not great. If you follow my reasoning, yeah, I do. I, I but I think uh, I'm I think not we, trying to vilify religion. By the way, I'm a Muslim, and you know, sure, sure, sure. No, I think we disagree. I think that. Uh, I think that fundamentally uh, what he did in 2005 or six and what he's doing now are very similar, which is he's selling policies uh, using Islamic symbols and, and arguing that, that nationalism and economic growth and religion are all combined. I, that's, that's what populists do. They 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 put modern policies in traditional uh, in traditional garb, 
I don't think that that Erdogan is um, he's and he certainly doesn't claim to be anti-democratic. He he would he would argue vociferously that uh, Islam and democracy are uh, are uh, uh, can be can combine very nicely, and that that he represents that. Yes, but uh, it's not comfortable anymore. Yeah, I just I just so I don't I think that that what makes him so effective is that he uses Islamic symbols. But I, I don't think that that, that uh, precludes uh, the opposition from doing the same. I think that the, the opposition, and, and I think uh, Imam Olu was pretty sophisticated about doing this, about talking about modernity and development and, and tolerance in Islamic terms. Uh, I, so, so we do disagree. I, it's, I, I think that there's, there's, um, I, I don't think that. Oh, I'm what... not suggesting that the opposition can't use the same tactics, but mm -hmm. I think okay. it's far more convincing coming from someone like Erdogan, who's born out of the Islamic movement, who is trained as an imam, who in his personal life is extremely pious. He doesn't drink rakka, you know as right. Imam Ola does. He's much more convincing to these people who, I mean, I think it's such a huge indictment ultimately of the Kemalist system that he's still so popular and that people still feel that they had been so badly re oppressed, repressed their faith, you know, and that if the others come back, you know, will revert back to that same oppression. I mean, I, I think that, that I, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about... Uh, uh, Sam Rosal's uh, thing, you know, uh, uh, you know, and I'll this drink is my whiskey. The wife and of the former president, by the way, to those in our audience who don't know who we're talking uh, about. You know, I, I I like my whiskey and I like my uh, uh, my uh, my prayer, right? I I think that that um, a sophisticated political uh, message uses the the tropes of of the culture, whether you know whether it's uh, you know, Christianity or Anatolianness or whatever, then uh, they use the tropes of uh, the culture to uh, to package whatever policies they want. And and Erdogan is absolutely a master of this. And I don't think it's just about religion. I think it's about. Oh no, I agree with you. But I was just saying it helps. I think a lot. It does, and I and, and I, I think he that relies on it more and more again. Yeah. I, I, and I think you know if you if I were if I were casting an opposition candidate, uh, uh, you know, uh, just on on sort of qualities, I would certainly want somebody who who you know went to Friday prayer. You know, I, look, I, I know lots of secular Turks who go to Friday prayer. Oh, absolutely, and people in I, the army, you know, for for, for the, the 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 army was always caricaturizes these. People who just drink gallons of whiskey, have their wives wear mini skirts and dye their hair blonde. I knew many uh, people in the military who were perfectly secular, pro-Western in their own way, uh, who did fast during the Ramadan, I, I recall very vividly. So, yeah, yeah I think I mean, there are a lot of tropes out there, as you say. Um, so, I mean, I, I think, look, it... We're we're focusing right now on sort of 
the qualities of political candidacy yeah. uh, rather than sort of the repression, um, which I think kind of gets things backwards. But, you know, just for the point, if just as in the United States, um, the the most viable candidate to to take on Trumpism is somebody who look who who drives a pickup truck and hunts and you know who 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 basically can take away all of those tropes of who um who's really you know sort of the grassroots uh i think that that's true for for uh turkey as well i think that in, when you're fighting a populist you you uh you're you're best off having a candidate who can can sort of mitigate that those claims to uh to no, cultural I, I perfectly agree with you no i agree with you 100% it has to be somebody in the center if not to the center right uh, that's I, and if i had, if i politics. you know i i always thought kilic darola was going to be the candidate because i think that uh turkish uh political parties are are by and large very undemocratic uh, but if I had if I had been able to choose uh, the JHP's candidate, I would have chosen Mansur Yavash. So we're having this conversation on the basis that you know politics will still matter, electoral politics will still matter. Yet we started off saying, "Oh, you did, and you're right." How the system is totally rigged. So going forward, uh, Howard, are you? Are you hopeful that things can change in Turkey in the near future, that there can be a course shift towards uh, democracy? And what, if so, what would be the trigger beyond mm. natural causes, meaning Erdogan, you know, he's immortal like all of us and passing away? Um, well, or I think successful things successful succession in the AKP, which is... Yeah. Thing we should all be following. I think I think I think that there are going to be succession crises. Uh, uh, obviously, in the JHP, um, in uh, among that coterie of parties on the racist right, um, and within the AKP itself. Uh, I, I there's going to be change in the next five years. There's going there's going to be. I think I think we're we're moving into period not of sort of more of the same but of instability whether that instability i think that instability creates the possibility of a democratic opening but and i'm going to revert to my traditional pessimism <laughs> i think that that's the sunny but less likely scenario uh, i think that there's uh, what we might get is something more authoritarian or more racist uh, or simply more unstable uh, that, uh, but not necessarily more democratic. Um, that said, if I were, if I were, you know, if I were Turkish, I would be working for that, that, you know, long shot chance that there's, there's going to, that that opening is something that we can capitalize on, right? It's, it's easy for me as an analyst to sort of say, well, the, the odds are long. But if you're a citizen, you have to work whether the odds are long or short because it's your future and it's the future of your children. Well, 48% voted against Erdogan. That's a huge number. It's not nothing. It's not 30%. It's not and 20%. Um, of course, and Erdogan was able to win without really 
doing anything grotesque in terms of fraud, cheating. I mean, he's just, you know, not so different to Orban or Duda in Poland, where he's, you know, yeah, and I think those are good comparisons. But still creating, you know, an aura of competitiveness that that makes it legitimate enough. The worry is that how much further he has to go to remain in power in terms of, you know, the rigging, the 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 tinkering, the and that's you know there is I think a line that that hasn't I, been yet crossed, but that might be, uh, and we'll have to see. I suspect. I mean, the most likely scenario, it seems to me, is that Erdogan will attempt whether he'll be successful successful or not. I don't know, but he'll attempt to groom a successor over the next five years. And we all kind of know who that is. That's his younger son-in-law, Selçuk Bayraktar. Yeah, that I agree. I agree. And That's... who is, I think, a great sell. You know, the guy is sort of like kind of cute and you know very smart, oh, yeah. super and he... smart, very successful, and, he... and the brains behind something that has elevated Turkey globally, the drones. That's right. That's right. And and, and the, the, the AKP is. The AKP has really sold that story. Yeah, and, I and think... let's not but... forget. His wife, who is Erdogan's favorite daughter, who's traveled the world with him when she was still single, who you know I met, uh, traveled with actually to Pakistan with, and who is also extremely bright, very polit- very political. Uh, and Both when you look at their social media, it's just yeah. crystal clear where this is going. Yeah. And yeah. if I were the opposition, I would be scared shitless. You know, if 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 you want to, you know. Get power, it's going to be very hard, very yeah. hard. I, I, I mean, I, I think I think that's right. Um, I think that it's not the worst scenario. Uh, right? The worst scenario is that uh, there that the the uh, stirrings of rebellion that we see in the AKP get worse. We that we see uh, uh, an ascendant sort of racist right. Uh, 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 replacing, you know, Bacheli's going to go uh, in the next five years too, presumably. Uh, and and you know, we how how the the dynamics of the AKP MHP coalition shake out uh, uh, is is not clear. I mean, Suleiman Solu Solu is is clearly vying for candidacy. Uh, you know, he's. Uh, it seems to me that. He's he's being very aggressive and and pushing him putting himself out as a uh, as a personality outside of uh, Erdogan uh, and and you know I would not my I choice. I don't see him as a standalone. You know I think he is somebody because of Erdogan. Every uh, you know for. <laughs> The sort of uh, useful idiots out there uh, will always say, "Oh, it's Ar- if left to Erdogan, he wouldn't be doing this." You know, it's soilu, blah blah blah. I yeah, just no, that's not where I was going. Though. I just don't buy any of that, and I also don't see him as, you know, viable. But that's a whole other conversation. Just one last thing, because I know you have another interview, Howard. Um, so how should America be dealing with this with this government now? Um, I, I mean, 
For the United States to be have consistent policy with Turkey, it would require Turkey to have a consistent policy about anything. Whether <laughs> and 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 a, one of the problems with a highly personalized uh, foreign policy, which is what Erdogan has demonstrated, is that it makes it harder to be predictable. Um, I think necessarily, the U.S. can't simply say, well, Erdogan's not our kind of guy, so we're not going to deal with him. Turkey's a member of NATO. It's a member of uh, uh, important uh, other important international structures. It's uh, uh, it's a large country. It's it uh, you know it can't simply be written off. And so I think necessarily the United States is going to be transactional as well. Um, I think that, you know, if uh, uh, Erdogan has to become more sophisticated about how he deals with Congress, he can't just assume that that a relationship with the, the White House is going to get him across the line. Uh, and uh, the United States is uh, going to look for places to cooperate. I mean, I'm not to take the F-16 deal. I'm not. Uh, I'm not opposed to selling uh, Turkey F-16s. Uh, they're going to buy. They're going to buy jets from somebody. Uh, the question is, uh, you know, is it is it politically possible for the United States to sell F-16s while Turkey is still holding up uh, uh, its relations, uh, uh, NATO's uh, 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 acceptance of Sweden? Is it possible with the S-400 deal? Uh, issue still outstanding for the U.S. to, to uh, sell them F-16s. Um, there's some very hard work to be done, and and I don't I don't think it'll be, be easy to succeed. Well, of course, unless Trump wins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but Trump Trump found that Trump wasn't a terribly effective. He he thought he could do what he wanted, but it turned out that that Trump was uh, Trump has the same problem that that Erdogan does. Just because you you think that you should be able to to determine outcomes doesn't mean you actually can. There are other forces in the world, right? That I mean to to bring back to Erdogan for a moment. Erdogan sort of. Has this sultan, sultanic imagination about you know a highly centralized governance and him at the top, right? This the fact that he lives in a sarai is you know in a palace is is uh, telling, um, but he misunderstands how sultans in the in the actual Ottoman Empire worked, and they they had to negotiate all the time, they had to to levy varying interests all the time. They weren't dictators. They were, uh, they were brokers. Well, on that note, dear Howard, I'll let you go to your next interview. It was really great speaking to you. Thank you so much for making the time for us here at Our Monitor, and we look forward to reading your wonderful work. It's always great to see you. Take care. So that's it for today. I'm sure we'll be talking more turkey in many episodes to come. Keep tuning in and make sure to visit our website www.al-monitor.com for in-depth coverage of the Middle East. Thank you and goodbye.